0: Hey there, I'm Marjorie Stiegler and you're listening to the Career Prescription Podcast where we tackle the important things they don't teach you in medical school, like how to treat your career like the business it really is, with strategies to accelerate the kind of success that you want, because you deserve a career you love and a career that loves you back. Are you ready? Let's get into it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. As you know, I love a good career transition story of something that will I know leave you inspired and leave you really feeling like anything is possible because my guest today really has made a dramatic change in her career. And I think you'll agree is really doing something to shape the minds and the lives and inspire the next generation of healthcare professionals. It's really cool. Before I welcome her to the show and she tells her story, I want to remind all of you that if you are thinking about a career transition, a career pivot, please do come check out my course, Industry Insider. Although I designed it to help people make a transition from clinical medicine to the pharmaceutical or biotech industry, the principles in it really apply pretty much to any career move that you'd like to make, especially ones where you really have no idea where to even begin. And uh, my guest today had a similar type story, not really sure what she wanted to do or how to be able to do it. So today on the show, I'm so excited to have uh, my guest, Dr. Jennifer Wardenike, is an anesthesiologist who now teaches college anatomy and physiology uh, as a career. And, and that's quite a change. That's really exciting. Jennifer, I came across, um, I think, a post of yours in a Facebook group, and it just piqued my interest so much. I was so delighted when you responded that yeah, you'd be happy to come on the show and tell your story. So thank you for being here. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm glad to be here. It's it's very exciting to get to talk to people who have done you know unique things. I'm sure you probably get asked by our physician colleagues all the time about your transition. So um, you may be able to to have a lot of the answers to all the questions. In fact, you might know the questions uh, better than I do. So. I'll ask you what I think people want to know, but you let me know what else you think people want to know. Um, but if you don't mind, let's start, I guess, with just a little bit about your background. Can you tell me, you know, take us from your your training, you know, okay. and your choice to go into anesthesiology, uh, and then sort of what what led you to take your career in a new direction.
1: Okay, sure. Um, well, I actually, uh, I graduated from medical school probably about, I think it was 18 years ago. And I was actually a Navy physician, um, and knew that I wanted to do anesthesia, um, um, from medical school, um, really enjoyed um the anesthesia rotation that I had while I was in medical school. Uh, but then the Navy, because they love to uh break up internship and residency. I spent um five years as a flight surgeon uh after I did my transitional internship. Uh had a blast doing that. Uh got I uh, have a hundred hours in the backseat of an F-18 Hornet, got to experience crazy things, trips around the world. Um and that then is so cool. I, and then once, um, I knew my tour was coming up or my, my flight surgery, it was time for me to apply for residency. Um, I did a civilian anesthesia residency. Um, and, um, it's really then that I started to even think about maybe clinical medicine wasn't for me. And it was not that I didn't love anesthesia. I do. I love anesthesia. Um, but, um, I looked around and there was other things encroaching on actual practicing or practicing or doing the craft of anesthesia. Um, yeah. but, um, I, you know, everyone said, Oh, keep your head down. Residency is just residency. And then once you're in attending, everything's going to be, you know, uh, rainbows and flowers and everything. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they say. <laughs> That's what they say. Right. <laughs> um, So um, my husband is is also military. He's a military, um, he's a a Marine Corps pilot. Um, And we got stationed in Arizona. And my first big girl anesthesia job was at a private practice um, group. And I actually loved it. And it was all only anesthesiologists and you got to sit your own cases and it was great. And like I said, it was fee for service. You could work as hard as you wanted. You could work as little as you wanted because, you know, people wanted to make money. So they could, they would, they would take your call and they would, they would do all these things, you know, or, um, um, you know, you could work as little as you wanted because the month was, you know, whatever important. I remember one of the anesthesiologists took a whole month off just to go fishing. (laughs) And so it was, it was a great work-life balance, um, Mm -hmm. with, with that, um, that type of model. And I was like, Oh, this is great. You know, anesthesia is great. I, you know, I, my mind was changed. And so I was, I was very happy as an anesthesiologist. And then we had to move again because my husband's military and we ended up moving to Virginia and in Virginia, it's a very different model, you know, mm-hmm. um, in the hospitals, it seemed like, Again, the anesthesiologists weren't happy again and and Mm. the bureaucracy kind of took over. Um, And so COVID hits, you know, there wasn't a lot of PPE. They're asking us to work overtime, um, you know, uh, do more with less. Um, This is what you signed up for. And that's when I went back to thinking about maybe this isn't for me. Um, I... You know, so, that so this I'm is sure. all
0: relatively recent. Uh, you spent a fair amount of time practicing
1: as an anesthesiologist. Yes.
0: If yeah, uh, about,
1: about eight years.
0: Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah.
1: And okay, cool, so oh, sorry, so COVID, you, yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and everybody, I'm, I'm sure every... I'm, I'm I'm assuming, you know, I'm sure every physician felt that drain at that moment in time. Yeah. Um, uh, it was really hard for me to um, come home. Uh, I mean, we I, I had my ritual where I'd strip down in the garage. I had my children weren't allowed to touch me. You know, yeah. I'd have to go up and I'd have to shower and um, I'd have to put all my clothes in the laundry before they were even allowed to hug me. And. Yeah you know, that's again, where I was just like, okay, is this really worth it to me? Um, mm-hmm. because one, I don't, my, my family's everything to me, you know, right. and not that, you know, I'm, but I, once I started having children, I started to think less about, oh, this is a good career for me of, oh, I kept thinking about, I'm missing, um, things with my girls, you know, yeah. I'm missing their recital. I'm missing their bedtime. I'm missing yeah. this. And I mean, my girls are young still. I mean, they're seven and five. And then my son is a year. Again, that started nagging on me. I I actually went to part time at that point. When COVID hit, there was a lot of, of feeling with that. Like, I, I don't I don't feel like this is this is worth it to me because I'm risking my family um, yeah. and, and that the money is not worth it because I am, I'm am risking my family. So yeah. I, I got my Florida license. Um, I'm now in Florida. Um, Cause we, I knew my husband was going to be moving to Florida. So now this is again, this is the third move since I graduated from residency. Um, and um, I got my Florida license with every intention of going back into the hospital mm-hmm. while I was house hunting. I found out I was pregnant with my son. Now I'm, I'm old. <laughs> I, I was 42 when I I found out that I was pregnant with my son. He was kind of a noobs. <laughs> um, well, we won't tell um, him that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, I love him. He's adorable. Um, but, um, um, COVID was starting to be on the rise again and Florida has a de- very different policy on COVID mm-hmm. than some where I was coming from, Virginia yeah. Um, yeah. and I did not want to go back into the hospital knowing the work schedule and the patient um, population um, pregnant, especially advanced maternal age pregnancy um, and so uh, my husband, he's very supportive. Um, he's like, well, what do you want to do? <laughs> Well, yeah, I had no idea. <laughs> so, um, uh, right before we moved down here, I contacted, uh, the college here, uh, one of the colleges here and I emailed the department heads specifically. I found, you know, um, you know, there's, there's two universities here. Uh, I emailed the department heads and to see whether or not I could get, um, a response from somebody just, you know, sh-
0: Within the university, so okay. I, I want to be sure we don't jump too much. So it sounds like basically, from the time of training and onwards, sort of in a in a uh, ebbs and flows way, you were yes. not entirely sure that clinical medicine was was it for you. Yes. And then there became an increasing sort of difference in your in your values in terms of what you really wanted to be doing and what was most important to you with your family versus what you were actually doing. And then maybe COVID as just a, like the straw that, that broke the back, like a, a catalyst for you during that pregnancy. Is that fair?
1: Yes. I would say, I would say it wasn't so much COVID. It was actually just being pregnant again. Being pregnant. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. and, um, so you when, decided
0: you wanted to do something different, but at that time, did you know you wanted, did you know what you wanted to do? Like when you're reaching out to the universities or were, was it more like, I, I have no idea what I want to do. Is there anything I can do?
1: Yes. I had no idea. It was, it was just basically putting out some feelers just because I thought, well, maybe I could just adjunct or teach a few classes here and there just to get my feet wet, to see if this is something that I enjoy. Because I remember when I was, um, you know, in, in, um, uh, residency and even when I was, um, in the Arizona private practice, um, they had, um, they didn't have an anesthesia residency there, but they had other residencies there. So I had other, uh, residents coming through where I was able to talk to them about anesthesia and teach. And I really enjoyed that aspect of it, um, and mm-hmm. seeing like, Faces light up when they, when something made sense to them and that there was like a, there was just a little reward there, you know, when somebody like, like there was an aha moment. And so I was just putting feelers out there still planning on doing anesthesia when I got to Florida. 20 weeks into my pregnancy, um, I find out that I have placental insufficiency uh, and my son um, had severe intrauterine growth restriction. So I've had to get scanned um, twice a week. So they wanted to do aggressive, excuse me, aggressive monitoring twice a week. At that point, I knew there was no way yeah. that I could work in the hospital because right. you just don't have time. You can't, you can't leave for... An, a doctor's appointment in the middle of the day, who knows how long the appointment's going to take and then come right. back. Um, sure. Yeah.
0: So, so don't have that kind of schedule or flexibility, there's just no way to do that. Yeah. Right.
1: So the college though, they the department had emailed me back said here fill out this adjunct paperwork we'll do a background check you send your transcripts from medical school not even like they didn't care about, <laughs> they didn't even care about residency they just wanted to know that I had had taken anatomy and physiology and I had taken these science classes and and what my grades were um, and I was kind of floored by that actually I was like oh, oh
0: okay, oh, okay well, well. That's a long time ago and so we and so did you when you reached out to the college. You reached out to the Department of Anatomy and Physiology, or was it the medical school?
1: Um, Who so at, did you reach out to? At my college, it was the Department of Natural Sciences. But what I ended up doing, I just ended up going on to the college websites uh-huh. and seeing what classes they taught uh, uh-huh. and then looking to see what department they fell under. Uh, and then one, once I, and I was just snooping through the, the, uh, the websites, then I found the department heads um, uh, email address and emailed him that way. Um, so this and, was like
0: Online sleuthing with yes. the idea of teaching sort of loosely in mind, no idea really what that would look like, and then cold outreach to these department heads. Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah, I
1: didn't, I, did, I didn't, I didn't know this it it's going to yeah. work. <laughs>
0: right. And so, and then what did you ask them? You asked them, like, if you can even remember, like, how did you phrase, do you have anything for me? <laughs> like how, like how, what was that like?
1: Yes. So it was during summertime. Um, and, um, I emailed him directly and I said, uh, I introduced who I was, I said, my name is Dr. Jennifer werten and I'm interested in teaching um, a, a, a college science classes. Um, I am currently a board-certified anesthesiologist, but I am, um, I am looking to leave clinical medicine and transition into college teaching or something to that. Um, yeah. um, it, it is... There, is there something available that I could teach, you know, um, please let me know, uh, you know. That's great. Yeah. I lo-
0: what I love about that, too, is you sort of put a stake in the ground in that outreach. Like, I, I want to leave clinical medicine and I want to go into college teaching. But I don't know, in your mind, I don't know, was it quite that solid? Or were you just like, this is how this, you know this is how this conversation needs to go. I would be open to other things, but this is how this conversation needs to go with this
1: person. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, st- I still had no idea. In fact, yeah. I wasn't, even, <laughs> I, I wasn't even sure if I was going to be good at it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure that I would even like it. Yeah. But at that moment in time, when I was so stressed out about what was going on with my son, I was like, well, I want to do something, but yeah. I don't want to go back into the hospital. Right. The interview process was me doing a Zoom meeting and teaching um, about the muscle contraction. Okay. So, cool. they,
0: told- so they had you they- give like a demo. You had to yes. present to them yes. on Zoom.
1: Yeah. On yeah. Zoom. So um, I didn't create a PowerPoint or anything like that. I had a whiteboard. And um, uh, a couple days beforehand, I reviewed the muscle contraction and I drew some pictures out on the muscle contraction and the action potential and everything like that. And then I had 20 minutes to present this muscle contraction lecture. Um, And then, yeah. And and then basically that's, that's how I, I I got the job. Um, But sorry, uh, I I felt like that's so
0: important because, you know, you have obviously, I think as all of us do really a fair amount of teaching experience just from being even a more senior resident Mm -hmm. and then being an attending. And, you know, even if you don't have an official residency program in your institution, if there are learners of any kind, there's opportunities to teach. And then if there are not, we're always learning from and teaching each other. So really think about it like, oh, do do you have the skills to be a college professor? I mean, obviously, like hands down, of course you do, right?
1: Yeah, yes. So, um, they gave me, um, originally I was just going to teach a couple of classes, uh, and then probably the week before the fall semester started. Now my nerves, I'm just nervous. I don't know what what I'm doing. You know, I've, I've started studying the material. Like I was in medical school again, because, you know, it's, you're so far removed from basic anatomy and physiology. Sure. Um, in, and so I'm like, okay, well. Got to refresh. But And did you have to build a curriculum from scratch? Or
0: No, no. okay.
1: So beautiful thing is, is that because of the uh, colleges and universities want the students to get the same material, they they already had a PowerPoint set up. Like I will say the camaraderie, amongst the college instructors in at least in my my group um mm-hmm. it's amazing like everybody wants to help each other out they all they there's no competition they just wanted me to succeed they wanted me yeah, to do so well yeah. um so um they set me up with this master course, um, canvas class with the PowerPoints already in there, um, with study materials already in there. All I had to do was create my own quizzes and exams. Yeah. So, but there's and resources you have for to that.
0: Deliver, oh, I'm sorry. Did you have to deliver lectures and things like that
1: too? Yes. So, yeah. so, so right, so right before I started, they, they're like, oh, can you be emergency full-time? And I was like, okay, well, can I still go to my doctor's appointments? Yeah, we can work Mm -hmm. around your doctor's appointments. Okay. So for full time at the college, it's 35 hours a week. And that includes 10 hours of office hours. So I'm really only teaching about 20, 25 hours a week. And the rest of the time I'm sitting in my office waiting for students to come and ask questions. But they're flexible on the office hours. Like you can say, you know, oh, I have my office hours on Monday and Wednesday from you know eleven to twelve. I don't know. But mm-hmm. if you have an appointment, you, you can, can you can say uh, you can send an email out to your students and say, hey, you know, it's either virtual hours or email me if you have questions. So yeah. the very first day, oh, I was so nervous. I was so nervous, you know. And when all I could, all I remembered was one of the instructors was like. You know more than them. They don't know that you're that you, you know, they they don't know that this is your first time. They they don't know, you know. So I just remember I talked so fast, like I had 50 cups of coffee. (laughs) 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 And But I had to do like three classes in a row. So, and it was just the introductory class. It wasn't like I was actually teaching anything at that moment in time either. It was just going over the syllabus. And Orientation. (laughs) Right. So once I got that first day under my belt, it's almost like I simmered down a little bit because after teaching three hours in a row of the same exact thing, even though I was just talking about myself and the syllabus and this- I calmed down and I'm like, I I I can do this. But again, I was I was so nervous. I, I mean, because yeah. it it's something new. It was out of the box. It was again still something I didn't know that I would even enjoy. Um then I started teaching the actual material. And the students were amazing. Now, granted, I had some that were not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but they were all pre-med, pre-nursing, pre-PA, so into whatever I was talking about. And they had so many questions about the clinical atmosphere. And I want to be an anesthesiologist. I want to do this. Like, can I do this as a nurse? Can I do this? How do I How do I get here? And so it was almost like molding clay.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and that's that- so much more than
0: anatomy and physiology or really like so much mentoring and development of people.
1: Yes. And it was just, I I, I don't know. It was almost like, I feel like I was meant to do this. And that uh, there was that, that feeling that was lacking when I was actually practicing clinical medicine. It was just, I was missing something. And I think I am getting what I was missing when I was teaching. And I I don't know if it, it's just because of the way that the students react to me and that that whole, they're so excited. They haven't been jaded yet by the bureaucracy. They haven't been jaded by uh, all the things that comes along that nobody tells you about with medical school and residency and everything like that. And they're just so excited to learn whatever you're talking about. And, and uh, they're like little sponges that just want to absorb all this information and you know what, I'm not trying to deter anybody from going into clinical medicine because we need really good people. We need good nurses. We need good PAs. We need good physicians. You know, there's always going to be a need for good people in the field. And the, my reasoning for leaving clinical medicine is. Is my own, my own personal reasons. And it's not that I don't love anesthesia. I loved giving drugs to people and watching what happens on the screen. If they had low blood pressure, go to high blood pressure or, you know, high heart rate, go to low heart rate, whatever it was. I loved doing that. I loved yeah. seeing physiology right before my eyes.
0: Me too. That was the best. <laughs> so, I mean, it's really, really interesting because, you know, I have always my, I personally feel like we need, you know, really strong and well-intended and people with integrity, physicians at every table across healthcare. And I include, you know, the insurance companies in that. I work in the pharmaceutical industry. You've got medical device industry, all of the places, not just in the clinic, and also the admin of the hospital systems and stuff. If you don't have healthcare professionals in there, then we're really abdicating our ability to shape and influence healthcare on the grand scheme. And what I'm hearing from you is basically the exact same thing. I mean, I had not really thought about it at the undergraduate college level, but what you are doing, you know, is absolutely bringing that that physician perspective and influencing an entire generation of people to go be really excellent clinicians. And so, I mean, I just think that's incredibly valuable and, and is absolutely doctoring.
1: Thank you. Yes. I mean, I just, I don't know. Like I said, there's something about it. And then I I kept getting, so you get evaluated by your students Mm -hmm. every semester and I would get glowing evaluations and, and they would say just some of the nicest things. And yes, these are college students and their kids, but there was something about that innocence and how I was inspiring them. And there was even um, last year, there was an essay that one of the English professors um, um, gave an assignment, Who Inspires You? And somebody wrote an essay on me and the oh, instructor. Wow. I, don't, I don't know who it was, um, but the instructor actually emailed me a copy of this essay just because it was so Beautifully written. And it was so nice, you know, that she, it was, it was a female. She was so happy to see a female physician and that, that, that that's what she wants to do. And then that, um, to see STEM professors and all that. And then, And then this year, so I've been teaching. That's
0: so the, powerful! Wow.
1: And then, then I I just got nominated last semester for a teaching excellence award, which is nominating from the students. And so there's that. There again, it's I, I know that they're they're college students, and they're they're you know th- there's that innocence about them. But to be nominated by them, you know, when you you know. Most of them teenagers, 20-somethings. They, they got a whole lot of opinions, you know.
0: Yes. Uh, it's an enormous honor, really, because I'm sure they, you know, they probably um, are pretty selective about who they think highly of. Right. You've really inspired them and you've really connected with them. I think the fact that they're young and sort of in their pre-professional years is all the more reason why um, they probably have a pretty low tolerance for mediocre professionals, you know. And I, I, I just, I can see why that would be incredibly meaningful and impactful to be on the receiving end of that and knowing the impact you're making
1: right and And
0: so other than locums and like an endoscopy like looking at different types of models of an anesthesiologist practice other than that and this outreach to the college were there any other like major career options floating around that you were entertaining with any seriousness at that
1: time um I was thinking about being a real estate agent I actually got my real estate license <laughs> Did you? That's awesome. Yeah. That's great. But I, I think I was just. I, I, so I love. I love. I love studying. I'm such a nerd. <laughs> um, yeah, you need something to really scratch that itch. I get it. Yeah, and and so I, I was interested because the the housing market was crazy at that time, and we were buying our house in in Florida, and I was like, oh, I can do this. <laughs> um, I love that too,
0: because a lot of people do ask. You know, when people are thinking about. When they're thinking about sort of second careers, career pivots, whether it's non-clinical medicines, a lot of people just kind of want to do something totally different, right? They really just have a thirst for just a lot of different experiences in life, which I see no problem with. Um, and so a lot of people I've 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 heard people ask, you know, what can I do that's got literally nothing to do with medicine? It's a totally different chapter. So it's yeah. very interesting to hear you say that. So you got yeah. your real estate license. That's cool. Yeah.
1: I did get my real estate license, which, and, I, and I've kept it up. So, um, uh, so when we actually leave here in a year and a half, I plan on selling the house. So I'm like, all right, well, at least, it'll, cool. I mean, and it's, you know, it was interesting to learn about the housing market and learn about, you know, the housing laws and everything like that. But, um, but I, I actually thought that I was going to go back to the hospital um, after uh, Cameron was born. And, um, when, the, so he, we made it to 37 weeks, um, wow. and, but when he was born, he was four pounds. Um, wow. and there was, thankfully he was a warrior, didn't need any NICU time, was breathing fine. Everything oh. was good. Other than the fact that he was tiny. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, that's, and, that's amazing. Yeah. So he, I mean, even the preemie clothes were just huge on him. Um, so I was on my maternity leave um, and it actually fell right in between fall and spring semester. So it worked out pretty well because oh, another another benefit of being an instructor is that I have five weeks off in between um, fall and spring and then you don't have to work summer at all, yeah. which is awesome. <laughs> so even though I had every intention of going back to the hospital, I feel like life pulled me in the direction that I was still going, you know, that, no, you need to, you need to continue what you're doing here. And, um, um, so, you know, we, we have physical therapy. He's actually, he's doing great in physical therapy. He's now at a point where, um, uh, he is cruising and all that stuff. So it, it, the, the, goal for him is, you know, to be walking by February, which we'll see what happens. But um, but because of the physical therapy and the neurology appointments and the um, the MRIs and all these things that I had to do, there was no possible way for me to go back to the hospital. So yeah. we still do physical therapy. We still have to have these doctor's appointments and, I just love that with the environment I'm in, they're so um, okay with me scheduling these appointments. and, and So humane. So remarkable. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, but that's normal. One. You know, and, but I feel like if I were to go into the hospital, it wouldn't be that way, which is no, sad.
0: No, they wouldn't be able to do it. I mean, first of all, the environment, I just feel like from a cultural point of view, is generally not that just not that humane and right. really doesn't prioritize uh family or or even health um but but also i mean i have sympathy for the fact that these departments are huge and it's a it's a giant machine healthcare systems and in order to take good care of patients they i mean they almost they do need to know where all their cogs in the wheel are going right and they need people in those spots and they can't i understand where they can't reasonably accommodate a lot of the things, or it would be just a big shift in culture to try to be supportive of the kinds of, you know, a situation that you're describing, um, and that I've experienced too. I mean, it's, um, it's remarkable, though, how outside of clinical medicine, it's just such a, a norm, right. right? You have a doctor's appointment, even if you have many, you got to think, it's normal. You got a recital. Of course, go to that, right? Like normal. It's normal life. It's just not normal life for most doctors.
1: Right. Which to me is sad because for the most, we're supposed to be promoting health. We're supposed to be promoting happiness. And that includes mental health. COVID did start that wheel a little bit more. Like I was used to missing things, even though I was sad about it and I was mad about it, but it really wasn't until COVID and realizing how little regard there actually was for physicians um, mm. with not having PPE and some of the comments that people would make. Well, you signed up for this. No, I didn't. I signed up to join the military. I knew that there was a possibility I could die when I joined the military. When I walk into the hospital, I didn't sign up for that. No, I didn't sign up. To, I, didn't, I didn't sign any paper saying, I'm putting my name on the dotted line saying I'm willing to die for this profession
0: and the no, problem and is- in fact, it's the opposite i mean we always learn you know in in even in basic in bls right basic life support you survey the scene first and you only yeah. enter if it's safe to do so like the whole idea of putting yourself in physical jeopardy is in healthcare is um i mean that's just not consistent <laughs> that's just actually not part of the paradigm at all
1: <laughs> right and even though i had these feelings in the back of my mind from residency. Um, I never thought I would actually act upon it until COVID, Mm -hmm. where again, the way that, yes, in the beginning, everybody was, you know, clapping, we're healthcare heroes and yada, yada, yada. Um, Yeah. But, as time went on, and there was the COVID deniers, and you know people who were anti-vax, and all this other stuff, and it was just we were still going to work, you know, mm-hmm. exposing ourselves and potentially our loved ones, and everybody else is going on with their lives as if nothing's going on. And I'm like, w- w- what am I doing? You know, this yeah. is still just a job. This right. is still just a job. And I did have. The feelings of I am giving up something that I worked so hard for, and my husband was just like, you know, you could always go back to it. And I was like, okay, you know, just take yeah. a break. Just take a break. I have been working since I was fifteen years old, and right. the only time I have ever taken a break, which if you can call it a break, is maternity leave.
0: <laughs> yeah, which you cannot call a break. I I, I won't accept
1: that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and so finally with this third pregnancy, I was forced to take a break. You know, I was forced to just stop and reevaluate the situation and look at my family, look at the environment, look at what was going on. You know, again, COVID was going back up. It was still not endemic status. It was still, you know, scary to everyone. Um, uh, and, I took a chance and I ended up loving what I do. And now Fantastic. it sounds
0: so aligned with your values too, like your core values, you know, yes. and I can, I can tell just from this conversation, how much it fills you up to do the work that you're doing today.
1: Yes. And it and when I get my paycheck, it hurts. Don't get me wrong. <laughs>
0: um, well, so I would love to ask you about that. You were in the military. So did you have student loans? Cause that's, that's something that weighs over a lot of people heavily when they think about leaving.
1: Um, so I did have student loans from undergrad cause I am, uh, I come from a blue collar family. I'm the first physician in my family and I still had to take out some loans because when they're covering medical school, they cover the tuition, they cover books and they give you a stipend. I did medical school in Chicago and the stipend was not enough. So I had undergraduate um, uh, loans and then I had a little bit from, from medical school, and uh so my, we're we're pretty frugal um uh my husband um we we made an agreement when I first started uh, making attending money um that that first year I would pay off my student loans oh yeah so right. i was debt free after a year fantastic
0: okay great so then you were Talking about how it hurts when you get your paycheck. So I'm obviously, um, this is a question on everybody's mind is how much of a pay cut will they need to take? Um, Everybody earns different amounts in their different clinical specialties and across the geographies and whether you're in academics or private practice or whatever. But can you put any more specificity around like what kind of a salary does a undergrad college professor make?
1: Um, So... It depends if you're in a private university or not, but less than a hundred thousand a year. So it is a big pay cut, but you get summers off and you get, you get those breaks and you don't have to work weekends. I I feel like the benefits just outweigh the, I think, I feel like the only con really is the money. Um, that's the only con, uh, and to me, money isn't everything. Um, so uh, the time off is amazing. Uh, I work out now, crazy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. yeah. um, That's
1: great. Um, I get to go to the doctor's appointments. Um, so um, like my schedule, so I, I'm going to start uh, spring semester on Monday. Uh, Monday, I'm going, I start, my, my first class is at 9.30 uh, and I am done at 2.20. So okay. um, uh, um, Friday, I work at 9.30 to 11.20.
0: Yeah, that's great. It's hard to beat those hours. Right. Um, And you mentioned this before, but I just want to circle back to it because a lot of people will ask whether they need additional training, additional degrees, or whatever to go about pivoting their careers in whatever direction. For you, you basically needed your undergrad transcript and to be able to demonstrate that you can teach in an interview lecture.
1: Yes. It was so much easier than I thought it was going to be. Um, I, I thought that I would have to get some certification. I and I even asked in an email, do I need to do anything? And no, I didn't.
0: And my last question for you is are there any questions that you get asked a lot that I have not that we haven't covered yet today?
1: I get a question of like, well, did you have to study it before you taught it? Yes, I did. I had to completely refresh, but I only did that for the first semester because after you learn it again. It's there, you know, and it's so much easier. Like, so I did all this work the the very first semester of studying and making my exams and making my quizzes. And then every semester after that, it was easy peasy, lemon squeezy.
0: That's super. This is a, so, I think, going to be a really inspiring episode for a lot of people because it really, I think, highlights, you know, how you can really love what you're doing clinically, but still have another career fit that's just more right for you based on the things that you value the most in life and that you have the transferable skills to literally just pick up and start doing something else uh, that really fills your cup in that way. And uh, it's just really so cool. Uh, What a great story. Thank you for sharing it with me and my listeners. Thank you for having me. Great to talk to you, Jen. Thank you. Before you go, please review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. Your support makes all the difference and it truly helps this information reach someone just like you who may really need it. Until next time, thanks for listening.